um, the season that we're in is the proclamation of the euangelion. That, that's what Gabriel came and told the shepherds. That He said, I bring good news of great joy. I bring the gospel. And that is where our great joy is found. In the truth of the gospel, the Christ has been born for us, came and lived for us, died for us, rose again for us, ascended to the throne of God, where he stands right now at the right hand of the Father, owning all things. And he will come again for us. I thank you that that is the greatest story in the history of the world. And it's not over. That what we have prayed, that what we have praised is that you will finish the story. So Lord, help us find our hope and peace in that truth. And I pray that as we worship you in the word now, you would do a work in our lives by the power of your spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Please have a seat. Find your Bibles. Find the book of Isaiah while you're doing that. Isaiah's in the middle of your Bible. It's towards the right of the Psalms and the Proverbs. While you're finding Isaiah, um, I'm going to ask you our first talking points question, and that is, what makes you long, what most long for peace? Now, before you answer, I want you to think about it. What makes you most long for peace? So just take a minute, ask the Holy Spirit to kind of reveal, like, what is it that right now, if you're saying, my, to find peace, I'm longing for this, or this situation, or um, like, what makes you long for peace? Okay, so now I'm asking. Now I'd like some feedback. And if you need a Bible, by the way, raise your hand while we're doing this. And there are people that will put a Bible in your hand because we're going to be in it a lot today, several different places. So raise your hand, keep your hand up until somebody puts a Bible in it. Um, so what, what makes you long for peace? Absence of conflict. Absence of conflict. So, well, that is peace. I mean, can be, but how does, how does absence of conflict make you long for peace? Okay, so having the, con like, like you want that absence of conflict. Good. Okay, what else? The check engine light. The check engine light. <laughs> Man, what's with you dudes? What do you mean by that? Check engine light for those that are online or can't hear, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome if you couldn't hear him he's like he's just he's he's not talking super spiritual right now although if you know scott most of the time he is he's talking literally his check engine light came on as he was driving here awesome awesome i love this what else navigating through grief loss like just a sense of peace good what else john you had your hand up Awesome. Longing to be there, and he pointed up, but there, undistracted with him, because the world is just, like, sucks the peace out of you. JJ, first of all, good to see you, my brother. Awesome. Seriously, made my heart jump when I turned around and saw you here, so we'll catch up. But right now, what, what are you talking? Out of fellowship. Okay. So, yeah, they moved away. Um, they're back in town. Um, so having a place to just fellowship and be here, like Sean said, this is, guys, this is as, as messed up as we are, and we are. We're just a bunch of messed up people saved by grace, but as messed up as we are, this is as close to heaven as you're going to get this week. God's people praising God in his word through prayer, like this is what it's going to look like on steroids, right? 
I want to just ask, though, just as, as I kind of lay out this thought that will set the table for the rest of the time that we're going to be in talking about peace today. And, and, and honestly, part of me is just like, I ought to just say amen to everything that was prayed and sung today, and we ought to just get to the meal. And I don't just mean that because it was such a beautiful time, but, but it really was the message you're going to hear today. Like, it, 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 if I were um, this kind of pastor, I would say it stepped all over my message. But I say praise the Holy Spirit that he's the one that orchestrates these kinds of things, because Almost like verses, etc., that you heard already today, you're going to hear again, and that's a good thing. But but one of the things I th- one of the things that makes us I think long for peace is we stop and we think about the things that make us long for peace. Sometimes it's because we're seeking the the thing we're longing for is in almost in a sense an idol that we have because we've we've put too much emphasis on it as our place of peace. So let me give you an example. Like what about relationships? So maybe you're in a new relationship right now. You're a young person. Maybe you're a newly married person. We have a few of those in the room. Maybe you're an old married person. We have a lot of those in the room. But may, maybe your marriage is str- struggling right now. Maybe it's, um, maybe a, maybe it's a, a familial, your family relationship that, that is a struggle, and, and, you're, and that is causing you to lose peace. That's understandable. It's real. It's what, a lot, it's what John was just mentioning. But guys, let's also face this reality that part of why those things have the power to steal our peace is because we've placed too much power in them. What about security? What about whether it be like actual physical security? Maybe you're a prepper. What about financial security? You're worried about your retirement. What about like having, and, and these are real things, a place to live, a plan for your life. Like if you're a young person, you're trying to figure out what God's called you to go be. If you're an old person and you're trying to figure out what God's called you to be. Those are all real things, but if they cause us to lose our peace, maybe it's because we've put way too much power into them. And I could go on and on and on. Things like the cultural climate that's going on in our country right now and the disintegration of a lot of what we hold so dear, like marriage and identity and like those kinds of things, life and um, those sorts of things, that can make us lose our peace. Well, maybe it's because we've put too much power into politics as our hope for the future, right? And so how do we like turn the tables on that? And, and so today what I'm hoping is that we will connect what Jeff taught on in our first week of Advent. It was how we find, find our hope by finding Christ, our hope in him. How does hope connect to peace? And the answer is that if we anchor our hope in the rock that is Christ and nothing else, we will find peace. It's what Paul, we're going to finish our time where I was two weeks ago during Thanksgiving week when we talked about Philippians 4 and how the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Well, where does that come from? Well, we'll, we're going to spend some time responding to that, Lord willing, at the end of the message. But, but it's this idea of how are we anchoring our hope? How are we fixing our mind, setting our hearts on the hope that is Christ? And there is where we will find our peace. So today what we're talking about is how his power... Christ's power is our peace. So the question becomes, how do we live in that peace that he promises? What was read in, in the prayer time? What was prayed about? Like the, 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 the things that Griffin shared. I mean, it's, it all came back to this idea of he, he is the one in authority. He has complete power. And he, and he, and he says, my peace, I leave you. We, we've heard that read a couple times already today. You're going to read it again in your daily readings this week. And yet we look and we go, it's so hard to hold on to. If there's, if there's one of the four things that we're covering in Advent, so we're doing hope, peace, um, joy, love, and then we're going to finish up the year in faith. 
but these four candles are going to represent, the, like if, there's, if the, one, the one I have the hardest time finding is peace. And it's pro- part of it's because of what I was just saying. I put my I put too much power in the wrong things. And, but a huge part of it, too, is I thought about this. For, my 53, for the first half of my 53 years, I didn't know Christ. So I had no peace. Because the peace of God can only come from peace with God. But even for the last 28 of my 53 years, if that's the right math, I don't know if it is or not, or 23 of my 53, I don't know, you'll figure it out. I, we live in a world where you see almost no peace and I talked about this a few weeks ago. And we live in a world now where all that anti-peace, the conflict, the turmoil, is filling up your smartphone. So it's filling up your mind every moment of every day. And we were not built that way by God. We were not built to know every bad thing that is going on everywhere on the planet in every moment of time. And yet that's the world we're living in now. So it, guys, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you have got to fight for peace. And so Isaiah is going to show us how. And so what we're going to look at in Isaiah chapter 9, seven verses in Isaiah chapter 9, and he's going to show us that the way we fight for peace, the way we find this peace that Christ promised, is first we have to find it by piercing the darkness with his light, then we have to fight it by pressing into Christ's presence, and then we have to fight it by proclaiming his power. And that's the, the outline that he's going to show us today. So ultimately, no surprise, here's what it comes down to. How do you find peace? What are you looking at? What are you looking at physically? What are you looking at emotionally? What are you looking at spiritually? That's where you're going to find your peace. And that's what Isaiah is going to show us. So before we jump right into Isaiah, I do need to set a little bit of the groundwork. Um, Jeff did a great job of this last week. In in this Old Testament class that we just finished, and people are turning in their finals today, hint, hint, turning in their finals today, um, we call it the Old Testament flow chart, and it tells God's story. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I want to point out that if, if in the top right or the top, yeah, the top left corner is the beginning, Genesis, and it goes through Moses and Exodus, uh, and the Exodus, and then it gets to the kingdom of David. That's the green box in the second level on the right, or on, on your right, no, on your left, sorry, on your left, yeah, it would be the left. Um, and, um, and then all of a sudden, and then what happens is the kingdom divides. So David dies, Solomon becomes king. When Solomon dies, the kingdom divides. And the two north southern tribes named Judah and Benjamin are down in the south. They're that, they're that bottom blue box there, kind of in the middle bottom. And then the ten northern tribes are in the north, and they become Israel and Judah. Now, why does that matter? Here's why it matters. We're in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet living in the south, watching his brothers in the north get destroyed. Literally. There was this kingdom called the Assyrians. They came from a place called Nineveh. They were, they were the ones who invented crucifixion. They were ruthless. This is why Jonah didn't want to go there 150 years before Isaiah. Because these people were not happy, ha- nice people. And they are destroying the ten tribes. And, and Isaiah's looking going, they're going to come for us. And Isaiah is the story of God saying, yeah, there is judgment coming through the Babylonians, not through the Assyrians. But there's also light coming. It's this constant reminder that even in the darkness, there is light that is going to shine. I share all that to say, guys, understand, Isaiah died badly. Like, like, like Brian talked about in our prayer time, uh, ten or, um, tw- 11 of the 12 disciples died poorly. The one that lived, John, and died of old age was boiled in oil and exiled on an island for the last part of his life. How's that for a happy ending? Right? Now, Isaiah was, was by church um, history, was sawn in half. 
So, the, so, so he never witnessed the light God promised. I, I want you to internalize that. The promises of God are for you, but they might not be for now. But that doesn't mean they're not real and really important and really applicable to our lives. Because guys, you're going to hear this at the end. You were made for a bigger, better something. Right? As Christians, we were made for a better reality than this. And God's promises are about that reality. So with that really long introduction, let me jump in to Isaiah chapter 9. And starting in verse 1, on our first point, we have to pierce the darkness with his promise. He says this, but there will be no gloom. Now remember, this is in a world that is literally falling apart. You want to talk about political turmoil like, like nothing we have ever even heard of. But there will be gloom, for there will be no more gloom for, for her who is in anguish. That's them. That could be us today. In the former time, he brought in, into contempt the land of, Zep, of, of Zepulon and, and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, now remember, this is a time that he is not going to see. Isaiah will himself will not see. In a latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. I just want to point out that this beautiful truth about that one verse right there. It's not really connected to the whole message today, but, but here's what he means. When he says Galilee of the Gentiles or Galilee of the nations, in, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus feeds the 5,000 in Judah, the southern part. Later on in the gospel, he feeds 4,000. Guess where he is? Galilee. What's the point? The point is, Jesus is making the point when he's here, 700 years after Isaiah lived, I am the savior of all people. Because Galilee was not considered, that was like Gentile area. So by, by, by doing this miracle, 5,000 in the south and 4,000 in the north, th those are two different events. He's showing, I am the savior of everyone. All the way back in Isaiah, it says that. The savior of all the nations, not just Israel. Then it says, the people who walked in darkness, so here's the piercing the light part, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Except remember, it didn't shine for Isaiah. It didn't shine for Isaiah's people. But has it shone? Yeah, because who's the light, guys? Jesus is the light. When did God create light, Genesis? Day one. When did God create the sun? Day four, thank you Old Testament history people, our survey people. Day four, so what in the world was the light for those first three days? Well, we don't have to wonder. Keep your finger or, or make a mark in Isaiah. Turn to the end of the, of the book, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, it's really easy to find. Revelation 21 starting in verse 22. This is the new heaven, the new earth, the new creation. He says, and I saw no temple in the city for the temple of the Lord, the God Almighty, and the, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So now there's no temple in this new heaven and new earth because there doesn't need to be because God himself and the Lamb Christ is here. Now verse 23 of, of Revelation 21, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, all the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Guys, here's the thing. Most of the people in Isaiah's time missed it, because they never even got to see it. Most of the people today are missing it, and most of the people when Christ came the first time missed it. 
How do we know? Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him, and nothing that has come into being has come into being apart from Him. Now, look at verse, I'm, I'm not there yet, but look at verse 5. In Him was light, and the light was the light of men. I'm sorry, in him was light, was, was, the, was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it, overpower it, comprehend it. And then it goes on to say, now who's he talking about? Well, we don't have to wonder, because John will tell us. And then he says, there was a man who was sent from God, but whose name was John. He came to testify about the light. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light that people would be saved through his testimony. And then he said, the true light that enlightens everyone is, was entering the world. Who is that? He's saying the light of Genesis, the light of Revelation, came here in the middle of human time and became a man. The light became a man and indwelt. And then it says, but he came into the world he created and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to as many as do receive him, to believe in his name, he has given them the right, us the right, us now, because of what he's done on the cross. He's given us the right to become what? Children of God. Guys, that you're not all standing up and applauding is not right. Honestly, we are so complacent about the gospel. Guys, this is the greatest news in the history of the world. The church, our church, needs to wake up to that reality. Guys, we are, there's no way you're going to find peace if you can't find your hope in the reality that the light came here, punched a hole in this darkness, and has put his light in us. Right? Because the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, so that leads us to our second talking points question. Says one of the points that we keep pushing is the truth that what we fixate on, we migrate towards. What consumes our minds captures our hearts. As people living in a dark land, how do we get better at pushing back the darkness with the light of Christ? Now, before you answer, just think about that. How do we get better at pushing back the darkness with the light of Christ? And here's the thing I want all the old people, and by old, I mean like 25 and older. I just picked that randomly. I want all the old people to be quiet. Young people, children, and by children I mean anybody from birth to 24. I want you to answer this question. I want you to help us. You know why I want you to help us? Because I heard this the other day. I, re I, I read it in an article the other day. The average 40-year-old smiles four times a day. The average four-year-old smiles 40 times a day. I'll say that again. The average four-year-old smiles 40 times a day. The average 40-year-old smiles four. What's wrong with that math? What has happened to us, old grumpy people? We have lost our hope. We don't live in peace. So young people, help. This is a dangerous question. I get it, because they could say some really hard truth here. I want you young people to tell me, tell us, how can we get better at living in the light? I'm asking. Evangelism. Okay, so share the light. It brings him really top of mind. Awesome. Great answer. What else? Bring God to every circumstance. Awesome. 
spending time with people who are always happy and excited. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, right? Like, like really filling your life up with like people that are positive will tend to make you a positive person. Good. What's that? Sharing the gospel, because that is the good news, the evangelion, the light. Don't always be worried about your certain, we do that a lot, don't we, as old people? Your, your parents don't, I know. But every other adult in this room gets so caught up in our circumstances that we, that we don't have time to have a little bit of fun, to find a little bit of joy, to just love somebody unconditionally be just because to experience the peace that surpasses all understanding because we've anchored our hope not in our circumstances, but in Christ. So that no matter what my circumstance is, I can look and I can go, all right, God, it's okay. It's okay. You're still in control. You still got this. We have, we, I say this a lot because I'm preaching to myself here, as, as born again believers in Jesus, we should be the most positive people on the planet in every place we proclaim anything. Text messaging, emailing, social media, conversations, at the grocery store. We should be the most positive people on the planet because we know how the story ends, and it ends gloriously for us. Right? That's the peace that surpasses all understanding. That brings us to our second point. So how do we live in this peace? First, we have to recognize that we have to pierce the darkness with his light. The second thing Isaiah is going to tell us is we have to press into him. Look at verses 3 through 5. He says, you have, um, you have multiplied the nation. So he's saying you've expanded this way beyond what we thought the plan was in Israel. You've multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy of the harvest, as they are, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, has broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult or in battle rumbling, and every garment rolled in blood has burned as fuel for the fire. Now, remember, now, I'm telling you, this was just the beginning of Isaiah, or of not just Isaiah's, but Israel. The whole God's people went through several hundred years of a lot of blood. This was they did not get to see this truth. But here is what he's saying: in the end, all of that is going. When Jesus comes again, and I think Debbie read part of it in in um, in Revelation chapter 19. When Jesus comes again, he comes again as the warrior king. His before he even comes to, to start waging war, his robe is already bloody. Why? Whose blood is it? He hasn't even battled yet. Whose? His own. He's already won. That's what that's showing us in Revelation. This is what Isaiah is. He's saying, we've, it's already been wrapped up and thrown away in God's view. We're just stuck in the midst of this already, but not yet. Guys, we're in this, we're in this tension of how do we live in this reality that, like Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 and in Romans chapter 5, this idea of having peace with God, it's this picture of he, him, Jesus himself is our peace. How do we live in that reality? Well, the way some of those young people were telling us, by talking about him to other people, that keeps him top of mind. By constantly praising him, by being around other people that are like, that are like him. Like, like these are things in a world that is constantly trying to suck peace out of us. We, the, the one who is peace, we have to press into him 
more and more and more. And God's word tells us how to do it. In, in, in Numbers chapter 6, there's um, the benediction, it's often called. Many, many of you maybe grew up in churches where they did this all the time. Where, 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 where they would read this at the end of every service. Where they would remind themselves of um, the goodness of God. Where they would say, where, where it said, um, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you or lift his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Now somebody, I don't know if it was Brian or somebody during our prayer time, he talked about the word peace there in Hebrew, in this passage and in, in, in Numbers and in the passage we're looking at in Isaiah, we'll get there in a minute, the peace in Hebrew is shalom. Shalom. Write it down. S-H-A-L-O-M. We all need a little more shalom. Because shalom isn't absence of conflict. Shalom isn't the, the, the stormy sea that our lake, Erie, that we looked at our, during our prayer time just becoming calm. As much as I like that kind of peace, that kind of shalom, it can be sometimes. Shalom brings a way richer, deeper meaning in Hebrew. In Hebrew, the word shalom means completeness. It means wholeness. It means connectedness. So when Moses says, when he's standing there and he's, and he's giving his benediction and he says, and may the Lord give you his peace. What he's really saying is, may the Lord complete you. May the Lord make you whole. And guys, that's what Christ has done. Moses didn't experience that. Isaiah didn't experience that. They just taught about, talked about it. Guys, our, our reality is shalom. We just don't live it. I don't live it. But that's what Christ did. What did he say? My shalom I leave with you. My wholeness. The fact that I, I have done the work to make you complete. Now just live it, guys. That's what he's saying to his disciples. Just live it. And they can't. And we can't either. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the Word of God. That's why we need prayer. That's why we need fellowship. Because we constantly have to be reminded, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am full of his peace. Because he's already put it there. And it's such a hard place for us to stay. I don't remember even where we are, but that's okay. Look at your last talking points question. This goes back to Jeff, what Jeff was talking about in our first point. It says, peace is not the absence of problems or storms. And this was repeated throughout our, the first hour of our, of our gathering this morning in different ways. Peace is not the absence of problems or storms. It is Christ's presence in them. As Christians, we don't deny the reality of war. Guys, understand this. that we, 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 should, we get the real war going on more than anybody. Nobody else in the world but Christians really knows what the real war is. Your real enemy is not the person sitting next to you. It's not the person at school. It's not the person in your office. The real enemy is named Satan and his demons, and they are real, and they are really messing with the world system. And every world system that has ever existed, including ours, is under his authority. That's the truth. Now, none of them, meaning every world system, or Satan, or his minions, 
are out of God's sovereign authority. You do that math. I'll let you just simmer in that. I don't know how that works. I'm just telling you, we need to recognize the reality that the, the, the war is real, and we need, we need to not like, apologize for it. We need to tell people why it's happening. Right? Why is the world so messed up? As Christians, we don't deny it but with the reality of the war. But we, cl- but we claim the victory he has secured. What are some ways you have seen him secure your victory? How does remembering those things help you function as a person of peace? Last week, Jeff um, talked about how, like, this idea of having memory stones. Like, having this idea of, like, how do we remember the, the, the times in life where God showed up so we can cling to those times for hope? And he mentioned that in our backyard, we have these river rocks, which we really need to add to, I realized. Um, these river rocks that have painted on them, like, events in our family's history and dates for when God showed up. Now, here's why that matters. One, it's to, it's to, it's, those are our memory stones to remember God's faithfulness. But here's when it really matters. When, when the pastor is losing his mind and losing his faith and losing like hope and lacking peace and joy has long gone and my love for you people is disappearing and all those things are going on and my wife can look at me and go, hey, look out there. You see those stones? The same God who showed up then and then and then and then is going to get us through this one right? We need those things in our life. We need those moments. We need, we need to remember those moments. You're going to have time here in just a minute to respond by remembering some of those moments. That's why I asked them to give you a white three by five card. So you could write down, that's one of the things I'd love for you to write down on there. What are some of your moments that you can rehearse in your mind? Because it's in those moments that my, my, the, the storm of my soul settles down, and all of a sudden, I experience his peace. Guys, the same Jesus who hushed the storms by a word has complete authority today. He still does. There is not a part of this universe anywhere at any time by which he does not say, mine. Right? He is still calming storms. He is still in control. Um, it, it is not, having said all that, remembering that, Praising him for that often will do nothing to change your circumstance. But it brings you into his presence. And his presence is where his peace is found. Because his presence is where his power is. Guys, Isaiah 26, 2, I think is one of your readings this week. And Isaiah 26, Isaiah says this. He will keep in perfect peace those whose, heart, those whose minds are steadfast, fixed on him. First of all, I hear perfect peace and I just go, oh man, wouldn't that be glorious? And then I have to stop and go, Hello, I have it. I don't live it, but I have it. He will keep in perfect peace. But look at what he says. He will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on him and those whose hearts trust in him. That's called worship. When we set our minds' attention and hearts' affection on God, praising him for who he is and what he's done, that is worship. What do I keep saying over and over and over again? What we fixate on, we migrate towards. What consumes our mind captures our heart. If peace is far from you, it's because something other than Christ is filling and consuming your mind. Because it cannot possibly be true in any given moment that Doug can be focused on Jesus and freaking out at the same time. Now, those moments can switch rapidly. 
But moment by moment, I can't be doing both in any given moment. And so we need to steadfast of mind to experience his perfect peace. And that's true in the big things and the little things. It's easy to start, it's, it's almost easier to picture how we could do that in the bigger problems. How about when you're paying $4.99 a gallon for gas? Can you experience this peace? How about Christmas shopping? Can you, can you moment by moment focus on the goodness that is Christ? Remembering the things that he's done for you? When things aren't going your way and those little things, can you stop and go, but wait a minute, my God is sovereign my Savior is present. This must be what he has planned for me in this moment. Right? And then step into that moment. That, that is really hard. And that leads us to our last point in our last two verses. We have to proclaim his power. So not only do we need to pierce the darkness with the light, the truth, the gospel, and not only do we need to press into his presence, but then look at we need to proclaim his power. So look at the last two verses of our passage in Isaiah. I don't remember where I left you, but in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And he was given to die. Guys, remember that. That baby born in a barn, that, 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 that sweet story that we ought to sweetly celebrate at Christmas. All while, When it was happening, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew where the story ended. And it ended in a brutal death for his physical, for his incarnation. He says, but he was given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. So I want to ask you, is the government of your life resting on his shoulders or yours? Because the government will be on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of, and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts has accomplished this. Now, guys, get this. I know it's, I, I'm, I promise you, we're almost done. But guys, this right here, these two verses written 700 years before Christmas is why Gabriel's so stinking excited. Look at, keep your finger here. Go to Luke chapter one. Go to Luke chapter 1. This is Gabriel showing up to tell Mary. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. And Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled saying, at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I don't blame her. Verse 30 of, of Luke 1. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have been graced of God is what it actually means. And behold, you shall conceive in, a, in, in, a, in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give, you the, give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now turn, just turn the page, or I have to turn the page. Turn to chapter 2, verse, 13, or verse 10. It says, And the angel of the Lord said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you the actual word there is the gospel, the euangelion. I bring you the gospel that, for all, that is for all people. For unto you and born, born this day in the city of David is a savior, not a teacher, teacher, not a moral, not a government leader. Not a, he is a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is a sign for you. Jesus has always been the, the, the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger and suddenly 
suddenly with the angel, there was a multitude. So a bunch of his brothers, fellow brothers, angels come along because they can't hold back. They're so excited. This chorus, praising God, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace on those in whom his favor rests. Guys, the reason Gabriel and the angels are so excited is they have been waiting eons to tell this story. They were there when, he, when their brother fell, Lucifer, and became Satan. They were there in the garden when Adam and Eve rebelled. They were there when Isaiah wrote about this, and they're sitting there going, okay, now, now, now. And God's like, settle down, son. Just, just cool your jets, fold your wings, hang out right? And now they get to tell the story, and they're so excited about it, and yet God's people then, and God's people now are like, it's cute. The most powerful beings in the, in the history of the universe are losing their minds over this news, and we're like, oh, that's a great story, and it's sweet. Like, we are, we are so backwards. I, we are so, I'll just use the word, constipated, we are. We need like a spiritual laxative. I'm serious. I don't even know what that is, but we need one. So someone look that up. I bet they sell it on Amazon. Um, just kidding. Go back to Isaiah chapter. Guys, here, here's the thing. and We're going to land this plane with this. Do you believe the Christmas story? Do you believe the Christmas story? Yes. We're singing it. We're celebrating it. We're putting up Christmas trees. We're having, you know, we're, 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 we're doing all these beautiful things. But do you believe it? Do you believe verse 6? For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. And his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you believe that? Yeah. I mean, I, th I think most, most Christians would say, absolutely. I mean, they, they, they better say yes. Or I'm not sure what they, why they would call themselves a Christian. But then, do, but then if we believe verse 6, we have to believe verse 7, guys. And verse 7 is a, is a future He's saying, so if you believe verse 6 happened, we're celebrating that, his first advent. Then verse 7, his second advent, is coming. And the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he taught us to pray. The kingdom is here now in part. Someday it will come in full. When, when that spiritual kingdom where he is right now and the physical kingdom where we are and he's in us, when those two things slam back together, verse 7 is going to happen. But guys, how, how's it going to happen? Isaiah tells us it's the zeal of the Lord that's going to do this. Has God's zeal somehow stopped? Like, has, did, did God really send his son Jesus the first time to die on a cross just to now go, I changed my mind you know what, I'm, I'm not going to finish the story. Forget it. Then why are we living like that? Like, why is the church like that? Why do we live, like, man, that's a great story. And yeah, I, I know that there's another part, the story's going to finish someday. Why are we not living like, man, the zeal of the Lord of hosts is accomplishing this? Because guys, the reality is the same God who has orchestrated all of human history moment by moment to get us to the point in human history where, as Paul says in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, at exactly the right time, God sent his son born of a virgin. He says at that moment, the same God that orchestrated all of that is still in control of all that, we, all, 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 all that we see today, all of it, the election, the gas prices, all of it, there's no part of it that he's not in control of. So why don't we live like that? 
Why don't we just embrace it full on and go, okay, God, I don't like it. It may be messy, but I'm going to step into it and go, man, I'm going to fulfill my role in this story that you're telling because we are blessed to do that. Guys, the same Savior who casts out demons, who calms storms, who mends the broken, he is still sovereignly in control of everything, and he's still saving souls. He came once. He's coming again. So why don't we live like that? Because we're so distracted. We are so, guys, the world is just a discouraging place. Right? It really is. I mean, it just, the world can get us so um, just discouraged, I guess. Just, um, yeah. It, and, and, and as Christians, it's because we have our mind fixed on the wrong thing. Right? We're, we're just, we're thinking about what's around us instead of who's above us. And so I just want to finish our time, get out your white cards, and I'm just going to ask you to think back to where we were a couple of weeks ago. Because a couple of weeks ago I taught on Philippians 4, and Paul says in Philippians 4, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and pleading and thanksgiving. That's why we taught it a couple weeks ago. Tell God what you want. Tell God what your like tell God your heart, share your heart with God. And then he says, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind. So he's saying go to God in prayer. Tell him your tell just put your put your heart before him. And that's where you'll find peace. And then he finishes the thought. He says, but here's how you do it. You focus on what is true and right and hopeful. You focus on what is pure and lovely and commendable. You focus on what is excellent and worthy of praise. So I'm going to have the music team come up, and you guys can um, turn, down, turn down the lights a little bit I, so people can write. And, and before they start playing their song, I, wanna, I just want to invite you to write down some things that are true and pure and right and lovely and ex excellent and commendable. I want you to write down some things in your, that you can look at and go, this is, this is where I have, why I have anchored my hope in God. Here are places where I've experienced God's peace. Just, just make this a card of thankfulness and praise. Remind yourself of all that is good and right. And, and, if, and it could just be a word for each of those things. And, and maybe there are some things in here where you're like, yeah, but, but I'm still struggling with this one or that one. Okay, we all are. Put, give those to the Lord too. But quickly turn back to the stuff that is good and right and excellent. Because the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, the perfect peace that Isaiah told us about in Isaiah 26 comes when we, steadfast of mind, when we fix our mind's attention and trust in our heart that he's got this. That's where the peace comes from. So take a couple of minutes, write them down, during this time or during our last, we're going to finish with a couple of songs and a prayer and, and then we're going to eat a meal together. At any point during that time, 
now or during the meal, I would encourage you to just go hang them up on our prayer wall. Give them to God. Remember that they're up there. But take this moment. I'm just going to pray us out of this. And take this moment to just take a breath. Everybody, close your eyes. Take a breath. Now set your mind onto Christ. The cross, the baby in a barn, the one who calls you, come to me. The one who spoke stars into existence the one who holds all of creation together by the word of his power. Remember Christ as you focus on what is true and honorable and right. What is pure and lovely and excellent about your life because if he's in your life there are things that are those things in your life. Things that are commendable and worthy of praise. Write them down. Let your soul just soak in the fact that God is good to you. And he proved it by sending his son to come and die. And someday soon he will come again. So Lord, I thank you for the beautiful story you're telling. It's his story. And we are blessed to be part of it. If nothing in my life is going well, from my perspective, I am blessed to be part of your story. Remind us of your sweet shalom. In Jesus' name, amen.